My guest on today's podcast is the extremely talented and versatile Tosca Lee. She's written a handful of books and published everything traditionally up to this point. You're going to enjoy our exploration of self-publishing and what role it might serve in even a well-established traditionally published author's life, as well as all of the benefits of traditional publishing. I think this is a barn burner of a conversation, and so I'm not going to ramble on at all this morning. Let's get right into it. My guest again is Tosca Lee. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. It took me six years to get my first book published. So between yeah. the years of 2000 and 2006, you know, a lot was changing already yes. by the time my, my first book got purchased. So, you know, self-publishing was really different at that time. And and I'm getting ready to to put two of my books back out um, myself. So it'll be my oh, first awesome. time doing that. It'll be okay. their editions. So they've been traditionally published by three different publishers previously. Wow. Okay. So it's definitely changed. And I always tell other authors that even if you're tr- traditionally published, you still have to hustle like you're self-published. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's probably the highlight of the episode already. We can just wrap and, and <laughs> call it quits. No, but uh, it, it's true that that's that's the theme of this conversation is uh, no matter how you publish right now, unless your name is Stephen King or uh, Robert Galbraith slash uh, J.K. Rowling, you're going right. to have to market yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, l- let's talk a little bit about that. By the way, um, before we do, though, let's let's talk about that first uh, novel in 2000. What did it feel like to get a novel purchased? Was did you have a sense like this is it? I've I've arrived and I'm done. What was the emotion that you had at that moment? Well, I'd been trying to get a novel published since uh, I wrote my first one in 1989. Yep. I tried to get an agent in 1990. Um that book was not publishable. It was not worthy to be published. So I'd been trying to do this for a long time. So when I wrote the book that eventually got purchased in 2006 and then came out in 2007, it, it was, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, this is finally happening. It was the thing I had envisioned and wanted to happen for so long. So in a way, yeah, you're, you're really excited, but it's also kind of like, okay, finally, because you know, at that point it's been. Of course. 16, 17. I mean, it's been a long time, right? So. Yeah, since, since you wrote, like, uh, metaphorically, the end. I don't think any novelists actually write the end when they finish a novel. That's just right. kind of a thing that we say. Well, some but, might, but... <laughs> yes, that's true. That none right. that I know so far, but I'm sure someone does. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> point being, though, is, like, from that moment, you thought, okay, finished product, and now there's a finite amount of time before I get a literary agent. There's a finite amount of time before I get a publishing deal. There's a finite amount of time before I'm on uh, a book tour. There's a finite amount of time before I'm talking to Larry King. (laughs) Everything feels like it's just about to happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I guess I wonder, I, I keep going off on little tangents, but I'm fascinated by this idea of like 
did you feel disappointed when uh, it didn't go exactly as promised? And did you have to change the way that you thought of things along the way? So like from 1989 to 2000, what kind of mental calisthenics did you go through to get to that point? You know, I just wanted to have a book that was good enough to get an agent and get published. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to chase down an agent and, and sign a contract with them. I had visions of sitting in my office and, you know, printing off my finished novel and having conversations with my agent and having conversations with my publisher. And I didn't know exactly what that looked like or what it would sound like, but yeah. and all those things have come to pass, you know, every now and yeah. then when I, when I think to myself, gosh, you know, publishing is hard now, or, you know, you have to mm-hmm. do so much work or whatever, you know, these are all um, first world problems when it comes to publishing, because, you know, I, I can complain about something to my agent or I, you know, I can talk yes. to my husband and say, gosh, we need a bigger mark marketing budget or whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know, the fact is here we are and I've got 12 books out now. And yeah, so there, there never was big disappointment for me, especially with my first mm-hmm. book, because there was nice. no, there was no roadmap. There was, there was nothing I was really trying to, you know, tick off the boxes for, Oh wow! I was just kind of on the journey. And so when, when the sales team was like, Hey, look, we're going to go meet with Walmart or we're going to go meet with so-and-such. We'd really love to have you come join us in that meeting. I was like, okay, you know, and I'd go along or we'd love to send you to this trade show and have you come Mm. sign here or there, send you to, you know, on this, this tour here. I was along for the ride. What? Is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm gonna tell you, it's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when the time you spend doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish-goom-bahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step through a unique, highly tested and targeted formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself, where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following and millions of copies sold. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery of not knowing who's reading your books and losing 50 to 70% of your hard-earned money that you're making through sales, Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readership. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Yeah. Some of those rides were more extensive than others. And, you know, the the age of book tours is, it's it's very different now, especially post-pandemic than yes. it was even 10 years ago. I mean, 10 years ago, you'd be gone for a week or two or more. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, my publisher would send a town car to pick me up from my house and drive me to the airport. And then, you know, a publicist would go with you on tour and, you know, it's different now. It's, it's, budgets are tighter. So much is virtual, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, maybe that's been kind of a saving grace for me that I've kind of always been along for the ride, but I'm also really willing and really, really enjoy the work of getting out and talking to people and doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, so one of one yeah. of the things that I have started to do more extensively, and uh, there's a lot of joy to it. In fact, um, you're you're local to the Omaha area, or were? Um, yeah, I am. Okay, yeah. you are still. So yeah. uh, I was just at the St. Thomas More Peddlers Market uh, this past week, and just had a booth set up, and you know, sold uh, like 50 books, and that felt really nice. It felt really good to be that's out. A, and that's talk a good to... number of books to sell not so bad. Yeah. yeah. It, it felt really nice to be out there and talk to readers and and remind myself in a sense why I do this. Because I think in this current environment, a lot of what we do is that online selling. And so it's cool to hear the Spotify app like cha-ching or not Spotify, excuse me, <laughs> Shopify say cha-ching, you know, you got your sale or whatever it might be. Right. Um, or get your, your Amazon uh, KDP monthly report and see those numbers and feel good about that and say, yes, I am selling. And yes, there's a reason why I'm doing this, but I would, I would venture to say, and I'd love to hear your thought about this too. It feels better to me to talk with a reader who's like, yes, I would love to read your book and then sell them that book and sign it and hand it over. One reader have that interaction than it does to see the KDP report that says, all right, you made a thousand dollars this month. I don't know why, because obviously I'd rather make a thousand dollars than sell Mm -hmm. one book, but there's something really gratifying about that single interaction. What what are your feelings about that? Well, you know, numbers are just just that they're just numbers there's yeah. no humanity to them so um i love interacting with readers so in the omaha area i was just most recently at the new downtown branch uh omaha library gave a talk there oh, yeah. and so got Beautiful to building. interact with a group of readers all at once the bookworm which is our local bookstore came down mm-hmm. and and sold books there and and it's it's always wonderful a because I, i've got a great relationship with the bookstore um but b because yeah. you know Readers or people, uh, there was um, a gal I danced with decades ago, literally decades ago, um, who was there. And I got to reconnect with her. New readers, I got to connect with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And my most recent book is a World War II novel. And so it's really gratifying when people show up and they say, I'm reading this book because my father was in the Philippines. That's where my book Mm -hmm. is set during Mm -hmm. World War II and never spoke about his experience. And so I'm reading this to learn more about what his experience could have been like. And so you've really been invited into the personal lives of your readers. And that's an honor and a privilege. And so I think that's why it's, it's so much more fun to be able to interact with readers in person um, and how this yes. it's because the humanity is there. Yeah. Uh, Beth Black at the bookworm is one of the coolest people. I love to shout her out anytime I can, because I just really enjoy her a lot. Um, yes. She's yeah. been a great, a great partner for local authors, uh, you and and me and, and several others, but also I think authors from smaller publishers. And I think that's a really cool thing that she's spearheaded. So I, I love the bookworm. I love what she's doing. Uh, when you wrote a World War II novel, this has nothing to do with marketing, but it's really just something <laughs> I think about a lot of times. Was there a place in your mind where you thought like there's a lot of World War II literature? Uh, 
And did anyone caution you against it? Where did it come from? Tell the story behind it, obviously, because you can sell more books just by talking about <laughs> about it. But also, World War II is a very saturated market. So it was... It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, let me just tell you a little bit about the book itself, because that'll help explain uh, it, my my response to those, those questions. And the book is uh, called The Long March Home. It's about three best friends who are serving in the Philippines. Um, they're stationed there before Pearl Harbor happens. And then mm. when Pearl Harbor is bombed, the, the Philippines is plunged into war. That's something I didn't know when I, I mm. agreed to work on this book. I didn't know that within 10 hours of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, uh, the Philippines was also bombed and war started there. And so for these three best friends, um, it's the beginning of their fight for survival. And so they are fighting in this war until April, until the Allied surrender of April 1942. And when um, that surrender happens, um, it, it begins this chapter of World War II history that a lot of people haven't heard of called the Bataan Death March. Yeah. And it's it's where the POWs were marched 60 miles over six days. Those who stopped uh, to to rest or to help somebody or for any reason were um, shot or bayoneted or beheaded. Um, and those who survived, it was it was the beginning of almost four years of POW life for them. So yeah. um, the way that I came into the story is one of my writing friends, uh, Marcus Brotherton, called me up and said, hey, listen, I want to write this book. I've been working on it on the back burner in between projects. Marcus is very prolific. He's very well known for his World War II nonfiction, especially. Um, and he said, I, I, I feel like I, I need a partner in this. Would you like to join me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And part of the beauty of working on this project is, as you said, the market is very saturated. World War II fiction is very popular. Yeah. But you don't see a lot of the Pacific theater in that that uh, genre. And you also you don't see a lot of what happened in the Philippines in there. Yeah. And yeah. so for us, it was a chance to shine a light on those heroes that served in the Philippines and and to share that that part of history with others who who, like me, may, may not have been familiar with what went on there. Yeah. Was there was there more to your choice to write that novel? What was the personal connection to it for you? Because I know that even though I write largely speculative fiction, uh, you know, and in, in genre, mm -hmm. um, I always have a personal connection to everything I write. There's always some kernel of me that goes mm -hmm. into the book that helps it to bloom and become what it is. Otherwise, I just don't have enough energy to mm -hmm. uh, get the project finished. And that's not to assume that you have a relative or a friend that was in the war or anything. It's just some sense of like, oh, this is this is the piece of me that it took to grow this book. Yeah, um, I don't have, to my knowledge, a relative that served in the Philippines or even in the Pacific. Um, but I I am half Asian. And so this is, you know, an, an area of the world that I've visited frequently. I haven't mm. been to the Philippines, but um, I've been all over Asia. And and I'm always interested in knowing more about different aspects of history. And I, I write historical fiction. But yeah. um, in my past, my historical fiction to date has been two or three thousand years ago. So I write mm. very ancient historical yeah. fiction so this is really new stuff and i'm always up to try something new sure so yeah I, i'm i'm curious because it's such a foreign thing to me 
I so the the mode that I prefer to write fiction in is the least amount of research that I have to do, the better mm-hmm. I'm going to be. Now, if you were to ask my wife, for example, she would say that I'm annoyingly research heavy. So just my life is lived where I'm I'm always spending a lot of time in nonfiction, learning about the world, about wars, about different countries, uh, and and like it just is endless for me. And I get like off on these just absurd obsessions about different topics. But when it comes to writing, I absolutely want to be free of the research. So it's, Mm. it's kind of like I load it in. And then when it's time to write, I don't want to put it on my table because it changes my brain out of create mode into dive and dig mode. There are writers like yourself, uh, a writer that I spent a good amount of time with in, in college was Marilyn Robinson. She's similar, just a ton of research into her novels. I could not function that way. Talk to me a little bit about that process uh, Mm -hmm. for you and how that helps you in the creative space. You know, I I do the research before I start outlining because the research may inform my outline. There might be something interesting that happened that might turn out to be a pivotal moment in my outline. So I do all that first. Uh, When I sit down to write, though, it's just like what you said. I you know, I, I need to mm. kind of clear all that out of my head. So, you know, there might be a lot of stuff that I researched that never even goes into the the book, but I needed yeah. to know it because it put me in the right space when I'm actually doing the writing. If there's something I need, I need very specifically, I try to just leave a space there and come back and research and fill it in later um, because it interrupts the flow of the actual writing. Yeah. I stop and, you know, and I've done this before. I mean, it's, it's, I've fallen in, into that trap before where I spent a whole day once researching first century ancient Israel public latrines. <laughs> uh, <And> yeah. <laughs> it ended up like making an appearance in half a sentence, but I spent that whole day off on yeah. this weird rabbit trail trying to figure out how does this work? What did they use for mm-hmm. toilet paper? You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. I needed to know, you know, but yeah. so I try to avoid falling into that now mm. if I can help it. Um, but I will spend up to 18 months or more re- depending on what it is. Like for that sure. book, Iscariot, which was set in first century ancient Israel. Um, you know, I needed those 18 months full-time researching. Yeah. I want to touch later on the the faith aspect because I know that that's there for you. And it's um, anybody who listens to the podcast knows that it's there for me, though, m- more historically than, than current. Um, I am curious, though, because we touched on this, and I think that there's a really good pinch point for anybody who listens to the show, which most everybody does for the marketing aspect of, of what uh, my guests can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. There is a tendency in me, and I assume in many people, to want to uh, tirelessly research the way in which they they promote their books, research uh, their their marketing aspects to the world. And what you just said to me makes so much sense in terms of marketing too, which is just get out there and do it. Like you've spent all the time you need to know to love your book, and now you just have to go out into the world and love your book on other people. Uh, how does that inform the way that you market? Because I know that you're marketing your book at this point, even though you're traditionally published, you still have a responsibility to tell people about it. Does it, Does my question make sense? I know I know it was not like yeah. the most clear. Okay, perfect. It makes sense. You know, 
I, I try not to worry too much about researching the best way to market for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. A, I'll drive myself crazy. That's the biggest yeah. reason. But, you know, B, there are certain things that just seem more natural for me. And that's where I try to go. So I try okay. to interact with people on social media. That's very natural for me. Anytime I can get out to a library, I've been really focusing on libraries a lot lately. Anytime I get out to a library because they have, they need programming and they have uh, patrons that are loyal to their Mm -hmm. library and their library's programming. So anytime I can get to a library, um, anytime I'm invited to, to join a podcast or, or something like that. um, You know, I, I try to say yes to as much stuff as I can yeah. I, I try to always have fun and I'm fortunate enough to have a, a publicist that has been with me now for several years who, who also kind of forges that way for me. Um, so that helps a lot as well, but yeah. you know, I mean, all this marketing stuff, it's always changing. It's changing it with the, the technology and I, I just don't have the, I'm, you know, I'm 54 now. <laughs> I don't have the energy. I was going to guess you were 35, but yeah, well, that's very kind of you, but no. And so by the time I, I learn and study up on all this stuff, it's going to be different. So eh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm tired. Absolutely. Yeah, I hear you. So talk to me a little bit about libraries, since that sounds like it's something you do. I ran a whole series a little while ago. I, the only reason I moved off of libraries is I felt like I was I was lacking in guests who could kind of dive deeper with me for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had I had some amazing guests talk about their strategies for getting into libraries and using libraries as as a hub for reaching more readers. You talked about going to the new downtown library. I will say, as just a quick note, that the original downtown library, I miss it. It was beautiful. Uh, yeah, uh. it was great. It was a great place. But the new library is beautiful. And um, I won't I won't get political with my thoughts there. But um, <laughs> it, uh, you know, it's it's great that we have that new library. How have you used libraries to to reach more readers? It, is it you creating events or just you being available for events? It's both. Okay. It's both. Yeah. So I've consciously been reaching out to libraries, particularly here in Nebraska, mm-hmm. you know, that I can get to reasonably easy, easy, easily. Um, yeah. But also, you know, across the, the river in Iowa or there's South Dakota, mm-hmm. just in the area. Um, so I've been consciously reaching out, you know, with my my new book or my latest book or whatever, just to say, hey, look, you know, I'm local. And I'd love to come talk to your patrons, um, love to talk about my most recent books. The reason Mm. I love doing it is, is there's so many reasons, but like I said, they've, they need programming. They're always looking for unique programming. Um, and, and a big part of that, of course, is authors, but, um, the patrons are are there. Um, Mm. and I love going to small town libraries, because um, there's there's readers and wonderful patrons and loyal readers in small town. It, it doesn't have to be the biggest yes. city you can get to. That's right. Um, and I really love seeing the diversity in our our libraries. There there's there's so much stuff going on and and so many programs and so many resources. I've seen yes. libraries of things where you can go like get a crock pot or what. You can go yeah. get seasonal like baking pans. They've got maker centers. Um, yep. one of our local libraries, I believe it's Valley, Nebraska, the Nebraska room, it's, it used to be a bank. And so the Nebraska mm-hmm. room is in the old vault oh, of, that's amazing. of the bank in there in that's the cool. library. So 
it's just cool to get out. And sometimes you have mm-hmm. 10 people and sometimes you have 50. And, mm-hmm. you know, and if you can bring in a, a local indie bookstore to come sell books at your event, that's wonderful. And it supports the local bookstore. Um, if they don't, and unfortunately, there just aren't a lot of, you know, local mm-hmm. bookstores and some of some of our even larger towns, um, yes. then, you know, I'll, I'll schlep my books in and I'll have them available for anybody who wants to have them and I'll sell books there too. So it's I wonderful it. across the board for all of those reasons. That's fantastic. Uh, a couple of details I want to touch on for people, yeah. people. So a lot of authors are listening to this show. And one of the things that they're interested in is um, for a traditionally published author who is in your situation, how many books do you keep on hand so that you've, you've bought author copies that you, like you said, can schlep uh, to an event? <laughs> how, how many uh, of each title? Like you don't have to be precise here, but generally <laughs> speaking, you know, how many do you try to keep on hand? I try to keep at least a couple boxes of my most recent title. So that could be anywhere from 20 to 40 or 50. Calling all self-published authors. If you live in the United States and you've always wanted to see your books in bookstores, this may be the most important ad you'll hear in 2023. Listen carefully. No matter where you are in your publishing journey, it's not too early to position yourself to pursue brick and mortar bookstore distribution. But if you're a self-published author, you've probably heard, getting your books in stores is next to impossible. That's no longer the case. For just $5, you'll receive a lifetime membership to the Self-Published Author Co-op. When you join, you'll have access to a members-only community with a detailed roadmap on how to get your books ready for bookstore distribution. Joining our community does not guarantee bookstore distribution, as there's a limited availability each month to be a featured author. And that's why the cost of a lifetime membership is less than a cup of coffee. Whether you're just about to publish your first book or you're selling thousands of copies a month, if you don't have your books in bookstores, the Self-Published Author Co-op is the easiest, most efficient way to get national distribution of your books. Click the link in the show notes to join now. kind of in a lull right now. So it doesn't do me any good to have a ton of inventory sitting around. Yeah. Um, But also I have 12 novels, so I don't want to have 40 copies of every single one of my novels because I'd be schlepping, you know, for a week just to get stuff into the venue. So, you know, I I may have some odds and ends as far as my my backlist. But uh, if I so, can have, you know, 20 to yeah. 40 for an event just available, exactly. not everybody's going to buy a copy, right? No, yeah, absolutely. One of the most yeah. important things I will say, too, is I really I really try to, to um, encourage people who come to my library events to sign up for my newsletter list. And I do that by having a sign-up sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that also by doing a giveaway while I'm there for people who choose to sign up. I'll, I'll okay. take a tote bag or something um, with a quote nice. from my books. Uh, tote bags are not expensive, but readers mm-hmm. love them. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a chance for me to grow my list as well. Absolutely. That's yeah. great. Yeah, it's 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 challenging to get people on uh, lists. If I ever am in a, a, a mood where I most want to get new readers, it always comes. It always comes in my uh, email list. I'm always like, I, I wonder if there's a way I could just buy a list of people to email. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, you know, the, I've the tried different things. Like, you yeah. know, you can do like book sweeps and things like that. Mm-hmm. But but you really want the the best. The best people to have on your list are the ones who are engaged because they've, they've already they bought, like they they've already you. attended an event. They exactly. met you, you know, That's they right. shook your hand and they heard you tell your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are the moments where you just have to be patient and kind of let the system right. work for you. Uh, I, I I am signed up for uh, 20 events in 2024. I, mm-hmm. I aim to triple that at least. And then I really want to take those events and also build events around them. So like you said, I want to go to the Comic Expo in Sioux Falls and then turn that into an, a library event the night before maybe yes. uh, and have other things around that so that you're really just building in everything you can to get as many readers and and really like dig into the community. It's right. tiring. I'm curious uh, after, and, and you've been doing this longer than I have by a couple of years. Uh, so I'm curious in terms of like energy, do you ever feel like all of the promoting of your work is tiring and you wish you could just write, 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 and someone else mm-hmm. would take care of all of it for you? You know, I, I, I love doing events. Um, yeah. I am an introvert, but I love doing events. I will say, though, that at some point this year, this year was really heavy for me event wise, Mm -hmm. because in addition to to doing promotional events and book talks, I also teach. So I teach writing and I also keynote. And so I'm either teaching writing or I'm keynoting or I'm at a library or I'm promoting my own books. And this year was really, really heavy, especially with my first new release in four years. Yeah. And so it it was insane. And I realized at one point that I was kind of using these events to procrastinate writing my next book. No kidding. Okay. Yeah. I, it, because in a way, it's easier to get out and talk about stuff you've already done than it is to write yeah. a new one, right? So there was that. Yeah. But also there were so many events and I was on the road so much. I I, I just finished my last thing a couple of weeks ago for, for the, I'm, I'm home now for about two months and I am weary. I'm, I am really weary. Mm. I'm so weary. I'm ready to write. Now. I'm like ready to dig in and do some work. Yes. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting you say that. So one, one thing is I will admit, I try to do good research on all of my guests and be ready uh, in, in the general, but I didn't realize you teach. I don't, I don't know about the teaching side of your world. I'm having dinner with Matt Mason tomorrow night. Uh, he's been on and off at UNO teaching poetry for a while um, and was the poet laureate here in the state. I, he is still for a little while. Um, I had the opportunity. He posted something on Facebook and I jokingly said, I'll be your date, you know, to go to this insurance event. Um, I don't, I don't know. So what is that connection? This is really, if if there's nothing to talk about here, I'll just completely edit it out of the show. But uh, what what is your connection with, with other teachers and Mm -hmm. how they help you get out into the community? Because I think sometimes our peers in this work really help us. Absolutely. You know, I, I teach at the events that I used to go to. So awesome. Okay. Yeah. So you know, I used to attend Thriller Fest in New York City, mm-hmm. and and oh, now cool. I'm on the board, and so I'm on the board, and I run the awards for Thriller Fest, and and because of that, I also I also well, you can panel just by attending, but I also teach I teach at Craft Fest ahead of time, and and occasionally cool. some years like this year. Uh, in 2024, I'll be teaching a masterclass ahead of time. That's an all-day masterclass. Um, and I'm teaching alongside people like friends of mine, like Stephen James or J.D. Barker or my 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 agent, Donald Moss, is also teaching a masterclass, I believe, this year. And so, you know, I'm teaching at conferences and things like mm. that. 
I did teach recently at Metro Community College, just a, you know, kind of a one-off thing last month. Ooh, but okay. um, so I, I will teach it at uh, universities or colleges, but, um, you know, I'm at WriterCon in Oklahoma City, or I'm at American oh, Fiction awesome. Writers, or, you know, online for, you know, one event or another. So sure. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I love that. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned Stephen James. He was a guest on this podcast uh, about a year ago. Um, I met him through my friend, Becky Robinson, who is absolutely amazing. She's one of the the most uh, just kick butt Mm -hmm. marketing teachers out there. She's great. She's so giving and she has a a beautiful business. So um, that's great. I love that. And I love, I love the way that we make connections and the, the ways that you're, you're teaching. You mentioned being at uh thriller con, you said in New York. Thriller cons Fest. Or yeah, thriller thriller Fest. Fest. Thank you. Thriller yeah. Fest. What a great opportunity. Fests, cons, uh, craft oh, yeah. fairs, all of that kind of stuff. They, they're, I think underused by other writers. Is that something where you have a budget every year to go to different things or are you, uh, as your publisher lets you know they're available. What's what's your process there for deciding where am I going to go? Well, you know, I I used to I used to go to the ones where I felt I would make the most advantageous connections. These days, I t- because you can only do so much in a year. I'm generally mm-hmm. going to to events like in addition to Thriller Fest, I I, I teach a keynote at Realm Makers or different things. That's speculative off uh, writers of faith. Um, I'm generally going places where I'm, I've been asked to, to contribute. So yeah. um, I'm usually getting paid to go. <laughs> so, of course, that's great. Right? That's perfect. Um, Thriller Fest is different because um, those who attend and those who teach there are all doing it on a volunteer basis. Mm-hmm. And so all the board, everybody's serving on a volunteer basis. Um, yeah. But most of the, the, most of the conferences I'm going to these days are the ones that I I'm going as faculty. Um so- and then I just try to take advantage and sit in on, you know, great talks. Mm-hmm. I was at WriterCon with Lisa Gardner, so I got to hear her teach. Very cool. Um, you know, and that's how I, you know, but that's that's where you forge those friendships. I mean, some of mm-hmm. some of my my best friendships, some of my best contacts have all come out of um writing conferences, cons, fests, everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like I said, there's just so many so many writers who don't even realize it's an opportunity. Uh mm-hmm. and I think I think that because of the age that we're in, uh many authors even traditionally published, which I I keep going back to that because many many of the listeners here are self-published. They're working their way to either just always being self-published and having a large audience that way or using self-publishing as a springboard to traditionally publishing. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it I think it's so easy to underestimate the power of in-person to assume that Amazon will do everything for you. You know, if I just pay $10 to Amazon. It's invaluable just to make those connections. And and if you do go to, let's say a a convention or a conference network, as much as you possibly can make friends with the people who run it. Um, Make sure that people know what you have, not just to take from the conference or, but what you can offer as well. Because that's how you become involved. And, and, you know, something else I will say, and this is, this doesn't fall in the category of libraries or cons or or conferences, but one thing I did this last year, which was so fun is I joined my friend, Brenda Novak on her book tour as a conversation partner. And so as she's on her tour, she's inviting friends 
to join her at different stops around the country um, to have conversations and to also highlight their books as well. Mm. And I love this. And I, I love doing this more and more. In fact, uh, we were at the, uh, we meaning Lydia Kang and Sean Doolittle and, and another friend in Kim I and I were at the bookworm. And I just think it's more fun sometimes if you can do events with other people. And so, yeah, yeah you're sharing the spotlight, but you're also, you're, you're pulling in readers and combining audiences with other yeah. writers as well. That is such a good point. I'm glad that you pulled that gem out because uh, collaborating with other writers will create yes. some amazing uh, things. And better marketing for the event as well, because you've got that Absolutely. many more people sharing it. Yeah, I've been thinking so much. And this is this is really for me, this is in the kind of like uh, embryonic stage, stages, but uh, I've been thinking a lot about how to emulate the way that music is done. When musicians are coming up, there'll be an opener for a bigger band. And if you can be an opener for Aerosmith, I mean, essentially you've arrived at that point. Right. Even though you're not the the main band, like that's 60,000 fans who are going to hear your music that night. And I think that a lot of authors need to start to figure out how can I be an opener for someone like, like you? Uh, because that's a you great bring idea. Yeah, yeah, I love that because, you know, I love it too, because the way the writing world has gone has always kind of followed the music world. So, you yeah. know, yeah. music started to go, you know, digital and subscriptions and, you know, and, and exactly. it, it, the writing exactly world right. has gone that way too. It so, has. but it's just more fun when you do yeah. things with other people. It is. And, and, I love know, that you say that. Oh, go ahead. There's less of a chance that you're going to have one of those horrible dreaded experiences that we've all had where you have an event and nobody shows up. Uh-huh. Right. Absolutely. So, it, there, 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 there are a few things that yeah, there are a few things that feel worse than five people showing up. I was I recently went to a book fair that I thought was going to be a big success, and it was in Des Moines. Uh, mm-hmm. And there, there were probably fifty authors there, and I think twenty individual readers showed up wow. to the whole day event. It was really frustrating. Uh, it oh, was difficult. Wow. It was challenging. Um, for me, I left victoriously because I schlepped my books to the vendors. And <laughs> so other vendors bought my books. Um, but it, it was it was one of those moments where you're like, yeah, it, it highlights the importance of having uh, heavyweights. I don't know any other way to say it. There's no there's nothing wrong with using the the already built marketing vessel of a great author and just being there and, and supporting them. Now, I will say and you already said it, but I'll highlight it. There's a difference between tying your uh, marketing tail to a famous author and using somebody. And I want to, I want right. to like just say, like, be there to help, be there to support, be there to make much of other people. As long as you always have that spirit of "I want to make sure that everybody knows how great you are," I think we all win. I, I think that's a really important point. Writing and writing and marketing and this whole publishing thing is not a zero sum game. And so yeah. whenever I'm in between, you know, I spent four years between my last book and my newest release that came out this year. And so for four years, I didn't have anything new, but I could still promote and highlight my, you know, the work of of other people who are some of my friends and some people are are new to me. Um, but the more you can be helpful to other people, you know, I believe in, in good juju coming back to you too. Yes. 
Me and, too. you know, Brenda Novak's audience is way bigger than my audience. Mm. But, you know, so yes, I was there to be in conversation with her, but also I'm also there to help promote her books as well. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's wrap up uh, by talking a little bit about the faith element. You mentioned Stephen James a little earlier. I know that he he feels really strongly that he cannot write and publish a book that doesn't have a faith message to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of his books are darker, but generally speaking, he really has a, a strong feeling that that is his uh, purpose in in the world. I still hold to the faith. I haven't been to church in a very long time. I have no intention of going back. Um, If you talk to me in private, I will tell you about my faith and why I believe in what I believe or on a podcast, I guess. So that's a very public way of doing it. But (laughs) generally, generally speaking, um, I am not at the same level as Stephen. My novels get really dark and some of them you would have to dig pretty deep to find uh, the faith message. And I'm not really worried whether I intentionally do it or not. Where does that play a role in what you're writing? Do you feel like you have to include it? Uh, what what level of consideration is it getting on the finished product? That's a really interesting question. Um, and to ask it right now is really interesting too, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my first book was called Demon, a memoir. And it was <laughs> yeah. considered a Christian novel, even though a lot of, you know, people found it too scary to read or whatever. It's not a scary book. It's really not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been considered a, a faith writer, but here's the thing for me. I don't feel like I have to have an overt faith message. If you want a sermon, mm-hmm. you should go to church for that. Not, not <laughs> yeah. don't come to me. Um, sure. But I do want to tell a story that is redemptive or has yes. some inspirational quality to it or hope to it. That's always important to me. And the reason I say this is interesting is because the the World War II book that came out this year, The Long March Home, my co-author, Marcus Brotherton, and I um, made the choice to go with a Christian publisher. And so it was published by a Christian publisher. Um, And there are very strong redemptive arcs in this story. Mm. Uh, But there's no overt sermon because that's not our style. And mm-hmm. and some readers wanted that and some readers yeah. didn't get that from us, but we're, we're probably not the, the writers and this may not be the story for them, but that mm. said, you know, it is there because it's part of, it's part yeah. of what's important to us, you know? Yeah. I have friends who are, are writers of faith who write horror. Um, I have friends who are writers of faith who write Amish stuff. I mean, you know, so I was like, <laughs> yes, I, I think, you know, it's really hard to pigeonhole people based on that. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my my first the novel that I got my my literary agent with and the one that we shopped for a long time, uh, the it's it's in nine parts called The Nine Lives of Marvin Long High. And um, so it, it has nine parts in it. And the, the first part ends with uh, the main character being uh, abducted and raped and killed. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people who who choose not to read past that point because it's really dark uh, mm-hmm. and they don't get to the final redemptive moment where she lays down her life for her best friend, which to me is like the whole purpose of the Bible. It talks about like, there's no greater love than to lay down your life I'm for your like, friend. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's pretty deeply hidden in there, but if, if you want to read to the end, it's there. And that's why I wrote that book. And that was the the theme that I was struggling with. I believe that it's there, but I, I couldn't say it better than you did. If you want a sermon, go to church. 
That is a really good way of, of putting how I feel about it. You might not always be able to find it there, but it it is, it is there. So some churches don't always have sermons in them, but you know, and some some do have, do have very overt. And they're great messages. And they have a very specific audience who turn to those authors for that. That's right. You know, but you know, we can't be all as authors. We can't be all things to all readers. Yeah. um, So, yeah. <laughs> what a fantastic conversation. You are a, a more enjoyable person than I even expected. And I expected this to be a fantastic conversation. And so well, thank, thank you. you so much for your time. It's Tell everybody been... who's listening uh, how to find you and uh, how to connect with you if they want to buy your books, but also just know where you're going to be and, and and visit you when you have an event. Yeah. So a great place to start is my website, which is toscalee.com. It's T-O-S-C-A-L-E-E.com. And there's buttons there you can use to find me on social media. And you can, I'm, I do all kinds of stuff on social media. Most importantly, my dog is on social media and he's more (laughs) popular than me. He's a giant German shepherd and everybody loves him. My calendar is on my website, but I do try to, you know, as each thing gets closer, I do try to post it so that it's there in immediate and I would love to connect with you. And, and my books are everywhere that books are sold online. And you can also, of course, um, request them at your local indie bookstore and at your library. Oh, that's perfect. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Tosca. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jody. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?